Hanna is bewildered. He thinks he finished second. Let's go to Gary Bailey, trackside. Bob Hanna, you have won Unadilla. What happened to Johnny O'Mara? I don't know. I've uh, lost a lot of them like this, breaking, but I never thought I'd win one like this. I don't, uh, I don't like it. How important was the age factor? Do you think that's what hurt you? I don't know what age factor did it, but he, that sucker's in shape, and he wore me out, and uh, I, I, I couldn't pick the right lines. You know, he outsmarted me. You know, he's a smart. He's great, and uh, I've got to apologize to a few people, the uh, spectators, for promising to win, and uh, Suzuki for promising to win. Uh, I won, but not the way I like to do it. Bob, congratulations. You finally got your Grand Prix win of the 250 at Unadilla, New York. MX Network Production. A series of the most exciting action imaginable. Welcome to the Leanne Re-Raceables on PulpMX.com. Mathis and Weege revisit the instant classics from yesteryear, spotlighting those historic moto moments that simply never grow old. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Lee at Re-Raceables podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Subscribe, rate, review, all of that stuff. Super appreciate it. These are a lot of fun to do, and the off-season is here, so myself and Weege will be cranking more of these out, I am sure. Thanks to the folks at Liat. Different people ride for different reasons, yet there's a common denominator that binds everyone who puts their body on the line for the sheer enjoyment of it. And this is what Liat offers as a brand. They make protective wear, helmets, goggles, riding gear, knee braces, boots, neck braces, and more. They cover riders head-to-toe in moto and mountain bike. But what Liat really stands for is a promise of things to come. They are in the business of making sure that you have the confidence and equipment to push yourself faster, harder, and further than you ever thought you could go. Liat.com. You've seen the uh, Moto Concepts guys wearing Liat head to toe, Oldenburg, Freeze, and the like. Uh, please check out, check them out, Liat.com. Uh, mountain bike stuff as well, as I mentioned. If you want to save at Liat, email us using the contact form at popamex.com, and we will pass you on a code to save at Liat.com. So thanks to those guys for coming on board. And as usual, Maxis, Guts, Pro Taper, Scott, Goggles, all on board of this podcast. Uh, we are doing, well, we're doing two races. We're going to break format a little bit today. We're going to cover the 85 and 86 Unadilla 250 USGPs because they were kind of similar. Two guys uh, going one-two in them and, uh, um, and some drama involved. At a different time and a different place uh, for racing, for sure. And we have some hilarious things that we're going to dive into as well. So to thanks. Uh, uh, oh, and we're going to have Johnny O'Mara on the show as well because Johnny, Johnny O should have probably won both of these. He went one for two as it is. We'll tell you more about that as we go. Again, thank you to Liet uh, with me to break this down. Uh, he is uh, somewhere in America doing something for money. Jason Wygant, what's up, Weege? Yeah, that's actually correct. Yep. Um, we are days before Motocross of Nations right now at Redbud, but the International Motocross Museum, gentleman by the name of Terry Good, who has collected an amazing assortment of old uh, 1970s works bikes, uh, wants to open up a museum for these. So as a fundraiser, they're holding a big dinner tonight. It'll be hosted by myself and none other than the Ricky Johnson. And we've got bikes and people who I've, ne- I've never seen these bikes. I've never met these people. I'm talking like I'm going to meet. Like, I, 
actually got to meet Hecky Mikola and guys like that, uh, Garrett Walsink, Torsten Hallman, who I have met a few times. But anyway, that's what I'm doing here, and then we'll be headed to Redbud. Nice. And you got yeah. a chance to talk to RJ about something in these USGPs. So uh, we have, we got some information. I didn't even know he was part of them, but it turns out he was. He was. And uh, so we'll get yeah. into that as well. But uh, definitely a different time, Weege, in the sport. Like, you know, we have guys now, we have teams and OEMs and factory riders being like, hey, man, I'm not doing anything outside of 29 races. We don't want you to do outside of 29 races. Uh, USGP has come and gone at Glen Helen with very little participation from the American riders. Um, back in the day, though, in this day, USGPs, there was a 500 one, there was a 125, there was a 251s, various years, and a lot of the top guys just did these. There was no real money involved. There was nothing else. It was um, this was a time when American riders were much better than the Euros for the most part. And so it was um, kind of a who's who, a real eclectic group of uh, riders showed up at Unadilla at Carlsbad. Hollister had a few. Uh, there was yeah some different ones. Of course, Johnny O'Mara, uh, the guy who's the main focus of this one, put himself on the map with a win in 1980 at, in Ohio at a USGP. So a different time, Weech, for our sport. Yeah, and as these are hot topics right now, right, because we have this Ken Roxon not being allowed to race FIM World Supercross. Well, not not being allowed. Honda saying, you're allowed to ride it. You're just not going to ride for us anymore if you do it. Um, yeah, this is uh, shocking because I feel, yeah, you can only race one GP class per year. That was the deal back then. You could only race, if you're racing a single 250 GP, you were not allowed to race a 500 GP, for example. So it appeared like what every team did is said, each one of our factory American guys pick one of the USGPs. You're either going to race Carlsbad at a 500 or Unadilla on a 250, but they're all doing them. You just got to pick one. So, like, in this case, Honda clearly sent, like, Bailey and RJ to Carlsbad to race 500s, and they sent O'Mara to Unadilla to race 250s. But the idea that you wouldn't race any of them, no. You just, yeah. you're racing a GP. Yeah, but, yeah just mostly yeah. all the factory guys did. Yeah. Yeah. But what is interesting when I think about this, 1985, 1986, this had all changed so quickly. I think eventually the Americans weren't interested in these races because they're like, well, pfft, who cares? What am I proving by winning a GP? But this is only... Five years after the first, you know, Team USA win at Motocross of Nations. It's only four years after Lackey and Laporte win World Championships. You know, the idea that, you know, you go six years before this race and it's like, oh, my God, if I could win a GP and beat the Euros, it would be the greatest accomplishment of my life. That's still relatively new at this point in time. Yeah, but for example, in, in 85, the top five were Americans – Overall, yeah. sixth place was the, the current 250 world champion. So the current 250 world champion in 85 was the sixth best guy on this day. Um, that's how quickly, you're right, it, it advanced. It was nuts. Yeah, you look at various things, you know, um, didn't they go to a GP in Japan sometimes too, the American guys? Yeah, early 90s, yeah. Dominate. It was like, it wasn't even close. It was like the American scene, the pace was just 20% faster. Yep. So donations, GPs, off-season races, whatever. They were just going to dominate, and it's it's weird how that happened. You know, again, six years earlier, they could not win. Yeah, and then they couldn't not win. <laughs> and then they just the won all of them all the time, yes. everywhere. Uh, yeah. These two races, New York, Unadilla, they're in August, uh, July, August, and this they're on YouTube. And man, look, Unadilla. Uh, I've talked about it before. When I first went there in '96, it wasn't very good. 
The Robinson family has done a good job over the years to bring it back somewhat to its former glory the last, say, five, six, seven years. Of course, Carmichael famously hated the place. James Stewart hated the place. Um, and I get it. Um, back in this day, though, there was no hating this place. It was amazing. You watch these guys. The track is 30 feet, 40 feet wide. You, you have grass up to uh, uh, the radiator shrouds. Uh, and it's just a, it's an amazing pl- place. It got so rough. It looks like motocross heaven. Yeah, it's unbelievable. I've never seen dirt like this. And, I mean, I've watched these videos a thousand times over. Uh, I don't want to go too deep into it, but this was the first race I ever watched because uh, it was part of Moto Worlds. So it was on USA Network. And racing really wasn't on TV at the time except for this and the Carlsbad race. And, yeah, it's like even though Unadilla does still exist and they've done a pretty good job of – getting it better than it was in the 90s. It's still not this. Like, there's an uphill, which is just an uphill. They just go wide open up now with no bumps. But in 85, 86, it is whoops. But it's it looks like sand whoops, but they're made of dirt. Like, it's sand whoops made of dirt. I've not seen that ever on any motocross track. It's like the loam was so deep, it formed up like sand, but it was dirt, not sand. It's crazy. Yeah, it looks great, doesn't it? It looks fun. Oh, well, I mean, it looks rough, but it does look fun. Like... Yeah, it was something else. Um, so, Hannah loved – Bob Hannah, he loved Unadilla. He loved Southwick. And by this yeah. point in 85, 86, um, he's, he's going to do those races. He's not racing full-time. He's not doing many supercrosses. In 86, he was doing a part-time schedule. Uh, 85, he was still factory Honda. So, I guess he was doing all of it. Uh, Unadilla loves Hannah, and Hannah loves Unadilla. Yes, and I think as Hannah said, as he got older, uh, the only way he could beat the young, stinking kids was on the rough of the track. He could still keep up. So, yeah, that leaves this. I think he would still race Daytona because uh, we know that was nasty as well. Yeah. And Southwick, like you said. Um, so, I mean, again, it's just so different from where we are now. Like, can you imagine, like, now, like, so, yeah, 86, 87, 88, like, Hannah's just – Showing up every once in a while, yeah. like oh, Hannah's gonna race. He me. does a he does a French GP in '87. Just goes for Suzuki, raises the French GP. What? Yeah, what? yeah, yeah. I mean, it's understandable. He's arguably the biggest star in the history of the sport. Like he's right up there with anyone in his influence, and like you know, he's earned the right to do whatever the heck he wants and still get paid. And it's awesome that he was still doing it. But it's just so random that he would just show up and not just show up be as fast as anybody else. Like, he wouldn't race a national for two months, then he'd go to Southwick and get, like, second in a moto. Right, yeah. Like, what the hell? You know what's funny, yeah. though? You revisit these two races on the Lee at Re-Raceables, uh, these two USGPs, and just, if you had asked me about him, I'd be like, well, O'Mara should have won both, but he ran out of gas on the last lap in 86, and Hannah took the win finally at Unadilla. The crowd loved it. O'Mara was the better guy. Hannah admits it. It's obvious, but he runs out of gas on the last lap. And I just, I would have just said, well, O'Mara and Hannah were there, and O'Mara smoked them in 85 and should have smoked them in 86, but ran out of gas. And the end. That would be my synopsis of my memory of these two races from following, um, from following uh, them as a kid. But yeah. you dive back into it, you watch the YouTube, you read the cycle news. 85 was stacked. Wardy was there, RJ was there, O'Mara, Hannah. Uh, Barnett was there. Um, yep. It was a stacked uh, uh, field. Keith Bowen was good. Yeah, Bowen. Yep. Uh, yep. In 86, uh, Ricky Ryan. And 86 wasn't as stacked, but 
I still no, yeah, Kehoe and Holland. Kehoe Holland, um, yeah. Um, yeah, it wasn't quite on the level, but 85 was stacked. RJ had a terrible day. Barnett was second overall. Hannah crashed in the second moto. Wardy crashed out in moto one. Didn't ride moto two, I believe. So there were different circumstances, but I just figured it was the Osho Hannah show at both of these. Not quite. No, and the other thing is, not only was the field stacked, but Osho did not smoke Amara in 85. Or sorry, Osho did not smoke Hannah in 85. I think Hannah was the faster guy in 85. Um, this is Hannah's last year on the Works Honda. Well, everybody's last year on the Works Honda, but Han Hannah's last year on Team Honda. And I don't think the bike... I, I think it's fair to say that he was it was a step down when he was on the Suzuki in 86. Uh, just, from, a, just a step, yeah. Just, just a, step. a step down. Yeah, yeah. But when they're on equal equipment, the first moto in this 85 one, and someone just put it back on YouTube. It was gone for a while. It just came back like a month ago. You owe it to yourself to watch the first moto because if, if, you, if you don't know enough about Hannah or you just want to relive the glory days, his freaking charge, I mean, I think he's like 14th. He comes through. He has to pass RJ. He has to ram the shit out of Bowen to get through. Uh, and Larry Myers loves building up that Hannah and Bowen hate each other. Didn't Hannah once make funeral cards? Yeah, he, uh, story? Yeah, he, he made a pamphlets at the race with uh, 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 like an RIP, like an obituary for Keith Bowen. <laughs> yeah, Bowen will be dead by the end of the day. He will die. <laughs> I will be handling Yes. So Hannah and Bowen get into it. Uh, RJ starts struggling to get bike problems and eventually endos the shit on the uphill sand made out of dirt <laughs> yep. whoops that are just gone now. Now it's just a straightaway. And uh, then he catches O'Mara. And I remember this past. They used to have that tree turn, which they got rid of a few years ago. That turn where the mechanics area used to be at Unadilla. You probably pit boarded in that turn. Oh, I did. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. 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 Um, okay. They come out of that turn and it's just a straightaway. It's just a straightaway with bumps. And they're on the exact same bike, O'Mara and Hannah. And mm -hmm. somehow Hannah makes up 10 freaking bike lengths on a straightaway just by being a goddamn madman and just <laughs> hanging off the back and those bumps. And then his feet are off the pegs coming into the corner. He almost puts his leg into O'Mara's bike uh, and he takes the lead. And we'll, O'Mara will explain what happened after that. But like Hannah is still fast as shit yeah. in 85. And I think he would have won the race. But second moto, he goes down, breaks his clutch lever off, and we'll never know. If he could have caught O'Mara again. Right. Yep. But good freaking Lord, could he still go fast when he showed up? Yeah. Uh, O'Mara tweaks a knee in the first moto. He talks about that a little bit here uh, coming up. Um, shout out, by the way, for N85, talking about Kindergartner, the KTM rider that was the world champion. Qualified fastest by over two seconds to awardee. Don't, don't know. And it like, says, uh Hannah was 24th. Hannah fastest. was 24th fastest. So I don't know what went on in qualifying practice at Unadilla in 85, but if, if me and you were there, we'd be like, dude, kindergartner, two seconds. Two seconds. <laughs> he's got him. He's got these guys. Hannah, 24th. Like, he sucks. <laughs> like, that's what we would be yelling and screaming about. Yeah. So. There's a couple things. I know that um, – you know, I explained that they had time qualifying at the GPs, and they didn't in AMA, so the Americans were not – that was not something they were used to. Mm -hmm. But second of all, I mean, these are just, I guess, score people with stopwatches. I don't know. No right? There I, are no yeah. transponders. So are these times no, even real? No, there had to have been transponders because – What? Well, just think about – It's 1985. Well, how did they do car racing? They, I mean, car racing – Stopwatches, and, bro. They didn't have 40 people with 40 stopwatches. There's no way. Whatever, Howie. You did plenty of stopwatching in your time. I did, but no, they had something. They had to have something. Uh, it's, it's not possible. But, um, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, 24th fastest qualifying somehow, and then Hannah's the fastest guy in the races. Yeah. So I don't know what was going on. Yeah, the, God, the track looked so epic. Uh, it did. Uh, absolutely. And those works Hondas. It's really – it's a pretty sweet race. Again, I urge you to watch this. It's the last year of the works Hondas, and it's on this epic track, Unadilla at its absolute zenith. Um, it's and, and it's Hannah, probably you know the last of his prime, so to speak. I mean, you could say his prime was the 70s on the Yamaha, but he had a second prime on these Hondas. It's the last of all of that. It's pretty awesome. And God, is he wild. God. Yeah, no, uh, it, it's, it's something else. Uh, Cycle News says, O'Mara joined teammate Hannah in the winner's circle. And the two of them whooped it up with the trophy girl. O'Mara sprayed the crowd with champagne. <laughs> Hannah boosted the girl high upon his shoulders. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> Is that how they describe it? Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah, it was also the zenith of that. It yeah. Was the, the no. um, it's funny, you know. The I, stories of Unadilla, Podiums, yeah. Hannah, Larry Myers, the crazy fans over there. I, I, we can't even say them on this show. No, no, absolutely not. Uh, it's yeah. funny to 85. They don't have the overalls. They just have the moto scores in cycle news. So I haven't seen the overalls. Yeah. I can't really do the math, but O'Mara goes two one overall. Hannah, obviously, like we said, with that crash in the second moto one, two, uh, Barnett second overall. He goes, uh, Barnett, this is Barnett on a Cowie, by the way. Uh, Barnett yeah. goes five, two Jojo. Our guy, Jojo is goes, uh, three, four. Jeez. Jojo might've been on the podium with a three, four. Yeah. I think it said it was, wasn't he? Yeah. Imagine JoJo on the podium at a USGP. Uh, dude, again, like yeah. Hannah, fast as shit, JoJo. Like at one point, it said it just passed Hannah on O'Mara at the beginning of the first moto. Yeah, yeah. Just oh, JoJo. no, it, it says, says Team, Keller got team fourth, Savage. Keller got fourth overall. Oh. It says Team Savage is JoJo Keller. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, is that the name or just the, the description? Uh, of I, 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 I think he's a, he's a savage for sure. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, Shane Drew, Shane Drew, my buddy Shane Drew, still working on Honda, Canadian rider. He rode the 500 support class this day, uh, seventh uh -huh. overall. He went 7-11 in the support class. He told me that after practice for these Unadilla USGPs, you would literally have to take off your radiator uh, guard on the front, the little plastic louver thing, and pull grass out of your bike. Just pull grass out because it just wow. it, it, that's how deep the grass was, you know. And he's like, wow. it was just. You just—it was amazing. So, oh man, I wish they could do that today in this day and age. Like something, right? Something. You know what, though? Uh, there's always been these—you know—stories of the grass at Unadilla. Yeah, the race would be over, and they just let the grass grow. And 363 days later, mm -hmm. we start practice with the, a year's worth of grass. But John Ayers, who spent a lot of time building the tracks for a motocross series and race back then, he said there was a little-known secret that there used to be some sort of farm or something nearby where they could get all the manure they wanted, like, for free mm -hmm. or something. So they had nature's best fertilizer in just unlimited amounts. And at some point, that farm shut down. And he says that's the little, like, I think everybody thinks, like, just plant the grass again. Yeah. Just plant the grass, no, it wasn't that. and we'll be back to <laughs> 1978 Unadilla. There were other circumstances that they can't replicate. It's right. not just the grass, but the grass is iconic. And here's the thing. have you? I've never seen a photo. Did anyone think of this? I've never seen a photo or video of them riding in the grass. It's always the motos when the grass is gone already. Have you ever? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't no. think so. I mean, they say it's handlebar high grass. I've never seen this. It's <laughs> a great like, point. Um, why did no one think, hey, this is a unique shot? Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Great, great idea. Come on, Buckley. <laughs> Come on, Tom Vitti. 
Uh, thanks to Scott Sports. They've been providing the best in goggle technology to all motorsport disciplines for over 50 years. Scott, a global leader in innovation, technology, and design. Scott has always been proud to support racing from the grassroots, speaking of grass, all the way to the top step of motocross, supercross, and off-road. Anderson, Pro Circuit, Caleb Russell, Chad Ween, and Walker Fowler choose the quality product and support from Scott. Scott is excited to relive iconic moments in the sport with Re-Raceable's podcast, many of which have included Scott Goggles. Bob Hanna in Scott Goggles, pretty much his whole career. Uh, Scott, the only goggle made in the USA. Thank you to those guys. Maxxis Tires as well, MXSTs, developed by McGrath, who uh, would go on to win a USGP. And, uh, yeah, MXSTs developed by him. Uh, Cade, A-Ray, putting uh, Max's tires in main events. The MXSTs, uh, great tire. Check it out if you need one. Um, and light truck tires, mountain bike tires, and more. Maxxis.com, uh, Guts, and Pro Taper. we will tell you more about uh, in a little bit. Thanks to Liet as well. If you want a code to save it, Liet, uh, Liet.com, and, uh, and uh, email us using the contact form on pulpamex.com, and we'll send you a code to, uh, to save. So a couple things in 85 before we jump to 86. Did you say McGrath won a USGP? Yeah, he what, won. What? Where? He won uh, Buds, like uh, ninety, ninety three, really? ninety four Buds. Yeah, I do not remember that. Okay. Yeah. Congrats. Yeah, I think it was one of those okay. three moto ones. McGrath. Uh, yeah. Okay. Okay. I remember the Buds GPs? I don't remember McGrath winning one, but oh, well, maybe I'm wrong. I don't yes. know. He won everything yes. else, so I can err on the side of that he just won. It, it is yeah. Jeremy McGrath. Yeah, I right. understand. Um, yeah. So 85, by the way, kindergartner defending champion, uh, went into fourth overall, or like I said, fifth overall on the day. Jackie Vimon was leading the points. He lost a ton of points. He got ninth in the first moto. Then he DNF'd, I believe, the second moto. So, uh, well, yeah. <laughs> have you read the Vimon quote on the second moto? No, I did not. If you're looking, if you're looking for how the Americans might have had an edge in the races at this point, it says if Vimon and Hannah crash together, that's why they're so far back. Vimon gets up to 15th, and then he just pulls off. And then his quote is, "Yeah, I must have been crazy for pulling off, but I did." <laughs> well, that goes this into this guy's the battling for the world title. He gets all the way into points and is like. I just can't go anymore. Uh, I'm done. I'm done. Well, I'm so there's, there's something happens to Jackie in 86, too, I believe. Um, he ends up, uh, yeah, he's really fast. I think he's battling in the podium, and, and then he ends up DNFing both in 86. Uh, yeah, there's a smoke bomb on the track. Some, oh, somebody yeah. threw a yeah, smoke sorry. bomb, and he crashed. You have to get into that, yeah. <laughs> right. What I'm, what I'm getting here is Jackie Vimon, the first Frenchman to win a world championship. Nobody must hate Unadilla right. like Jackie Vimon. Right. Nobody, Great nobody. Point. No, great point. Oh, God. There's a horrible shot in the 1985 show where, I mean, you know how the Euro guys are all stylish now? Whatever. They got cool gear. They scrub, all that. You know, there was a distinct difference in the American style and the European style back then. This guy, he really should get all this scrub from the internet because there's a shot of Jackie, like, in his gear looking exhausted. And then his wife, it looks like she's wearing pajamas. It's just, like, wiping his face with cloths. And they're like, the unfamiliar heat and humidity has caught up to the world championship contender and it just looks so lame and then there's hannah like sitting in a lawn chair looking tough as hell and i'm just like oh yeah not a good look uh at that point was larry myers yelling commie was there any commie talk i can't imagine at the track <laughs> what myers was willing to say um yeah so he 80- might have thrown the smoke bomb yeah maybe he threw it yeah, exactly <laughs> uh so 86 we flash forward one year and one week later uh, Hannah's on Suzuki, like you mentioned. Uh, O'Mara's there. This one's not quite as deep. Billy Lyles, Kehoe um, are there. 
And uh, you can, first of all, uh, Omera works Bob in the first moto, like 20. His pit board, Jim Feltz's pit board says 26 seconds, I believe. Wow. And probably a lot of that is due to the change from a factory Honda to a privateer, or not, sorry, uh, production Suzuki for Hannah. I was out it's worth, it's worth 26 seconds of moto. I don't know. Um, that, so Hannah did qualify fastest in 86. So the, the, there is that, you know. Um, he qualified yep. fast. Better than 85, where he was only 24th. He improved that part. He really improved. He was 223.1 to 224.7 for Omera. Um, so, yeah, he, he did improve on that point. He, this is the Boys and Link bike as well. I did a podcast with Dog Boysen. It gets into the Boys and Link uh, that his dad designed. At, but Hannah went to a track two days before this race and had his factory bike there and then had one with the Boys and Link on it. And decided that he wanted to race the boys and link bike, and then, and then this boy, this bike ended up at Prim Museum, and then maybe Terry Good has it now. I don't know because it was sold from there. But uh, I don't that, see it in this Terry Good collection, but I've seen it quite a bit. Yeah. I feel like it shows up quite it, it, often. Yeah, it was at Supercrosses and stuff and everything else. Yeah, so, uh, yeah. It, it was around there a little bit. So '86, Omera works it in the uh, first moto. Uh, these they're all on production bikes. Like I said, huge win. Second moto runs out of gas on the last lap with half a lap to go. Uh, Hannah doesn't even know that uh, he won when he pulled off. Uh, Pat Alexander, Suzuki's team manager, said, Bob rode good. Even though that happened to Omero on the last lap, it shouldn't have anything to do with it. Hannah rode as hard as he could, and he deserved the win. <laughs> Pat, he deserved the win. Omero was gone. Gone. I don't understand. I don't understand. You, you, you should say like that. Should be Omera deserved the win. Uh, that that's but, Pat. That's that's you're off. So Omera wins the first moto by thirty seconds and is gone in moto two and runs out of gas in the last lap. And Bob he, deserved the win. And Bob deserves to win. <laughs> like <laughs> if we had a review show back then, the USGP oh. review show, I I, oh, I would take Pat's comments to the woodshed. Uh, you, oh, God. Uh, he rode his hardest. Yeah. He rode as hard as he could. Yeah. He deserved it. <laughs> he deserved it. He deserved that Omera <laughs> didn't deserve nothing. We waited him out. We knew with the yeah, gas yeah, lines. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Calculated right, it. right. We calculated yeah. it out. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I was quite puzzled. Um, <laughs> the biggest – so that was one thing that I just was, like, shaking my head at. The yeah. biggest – the other big thing I shook my head at with the 86 USGP is there's a 500 support class just like there was in 85 – and in 86, RJ is the man. Uh, he has won Supercross at this point. I don't know the, the time frame of 250 Nationals, but maybe he's either winning those or they're yeah. just or he's already won it and they're into the 500s. I'm not sure. But RJ rode the Carlsbad USEP in 86. Epic, crushed everybody, won one. And then decides to ride 500s in the support class for nothing. No reason on the other coast of the USA because I guess he's <laughs> bored. I don't know. I don't like know. what? What? <laughs> I, it's the point we're making. Think of the difference now. He couldn't race the GP at Unadilla because you can only race one class, and he already raced the 500 GP. So I'll just race the support class, which I don't even know. Does he even pay money? Is there any point of this race at all? There has to be money because, like, Droopy and those guys did it, right? There has to be some money. Oh, okay, but, so that's but, why we're doing it. But, but yeah. I mean, are we worried about and, injury? Are we worried about a – we, we, our guys don't do shit. Without like no. a, like a referendum about which races they should do, and here RJ, the best rider in the world with championships on the line, shows up yeah. at Unadilla. 
And as I was saying to you before this call, these are box fan days. So it's not like, well, the truck's already out there. Just hop on a plane with your gear bag. No, Brian Lunas had to drive the box van all the way to Unadilla just for RJ to race to 500 support class. What is the point of this? Yeah, uh, looking at the, the schedule, it looks like it was went Redbud, Unadilla, Binghamton. So he was racing 500 nationals at this point. So, I see. So I guess they're like, hey, we're in Binghamton next weekend. Just come on down early. Just and race. come on down and race the 500. So this is the great thing about these Liat re-raceables. So uh, in the cycle news, it says that RJ let everyone go <laughs> and then got busy on it, racing it. And then uh, I'm like, wait, what? And you happen to be with Rick Johnson right now. Yes. Uh, so I asked him, it says, according to Cycle News, you let everyone go off the start. And he's like, no, I let off in turn one. I mean, I guess he did want to let everyone go. Maybe give himself a challenge. Not sure. And then he said that was a bad move because then they roosted the shit out of him. And we know Unadilla roost, especially probably 500 is terrible. Then he crashed. Then he crashed again in Moto2 and he had a horrible day. And he said it was his mistake for trying to let them go and get on the brakes in turn one. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, his mistake. Like what the hell? Like what? Uh, what is going on? I, I just, I just imagine the I'll number. Race it, but I'll, I'll, I'll get on the brakes and I'll start last. I mean, I guess if you Stanton showed up in '89 and rode the 125 support class, same idea, but even right? That supposedly had, according to Davey, Stanton did that one to prove. Uh, that he could be on donations and race a 125 right. if they needed it. Yep, that was allegedly. So, okay. at least there was like some reason. Right, and, and you're right. That that there's a reason. It's 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 there. But this one, what's the reason? I don't know. But Weege. This is when men were men. If there was a race to win, yep. they were going to race. That's it. That's, that's, that's you don't need to know any more than that. No, exactly. Uh, oh, I, it's just it's just it's just amazing. Just complete troop group of droopy. All your privateer guys. And RJ, um, best rider in the world on his factory Honda. So who ends up winning this 500 support class in 1986, Steve? Jersey Zone, Mickey Kessler. Oh, Takes yeah. Takes the win. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mick the quick, baby. Mick the quick. Yes. Beating RJ. Mick the quick. Yep. You want to gonna... play games, RJ? You want to play games? <laughs> That's what Mick will play games. <laughs> we are going to be using this one. In Jersey lore for a long time. Oh, yeah. Now, RJ showed up, thought it was going to be easy, and got beat down yeah. by Mickey Kessler, who really by 86 was past his prime. I mean, these are all privateers. These are all privateers. All of them. And then Mick I, Johnson. I've never even heard of some of these dudes. Um, by the way, our guy Jackie, again, leading the points, had another bad day at oh, Unadilla, God. smoke bombs. Double and, DNFs. Yeah. Uh, oh, we'll talk about what happened to Jackie in one of the motos. Yeah, in one of the motos, Cycle News says that he crashed because somebody threw a smoke bomb on the track and he couldn't, <laughs> couldn't see the bumps and just ate shit. Uh, so, oh, my God. The hill people, the, the hill people strike again. They yeah. do. This Cycle News story written by a young Kit Palmer who's still – Still covering races for Cycle News uh, to this day. So I'm at Supercross this year. And it's just so – you love Cycle News back then because everything is written so matter-of-factly. Yep. Like there's no opinion. No, no, no. It's just – Nope. Just a spectator had thrown a smoke bomb and Ramon couldn't see the bumps and crashed. It's just written that simply. Like, yep. No, that, that – There's the facts. Yep. That's it. Facts. That's it. Uh, the quotes are great um, from 86. Hannah, Hannah says – Can you imagine if a smoke bomb was thrown on the track and a guy crashed? Battling for a title, Steve. Now, can no. you imagine this? <laughs> that would be great. We'd be able to talk about it for two <laughs> no. weeks. 
Oh, we would. I mean, Pulp MX, your five hours wouldn't even be enough no. to cover this. No. Uh, but, oh, Sexton, the smoke bomb. Got him. Yeah. <laughs> that sucks. Hey, Chase, the smoke bomb right in front of you. What, what could you do? Oh, man. That's crazy spectators, dude. Um, yep. By the way, uh, so in the second moto, Hannah wins first, or Omera wins first moto going away. Second moto, Hannah and Hannah has to catch Bob. There's a bit of a battle. He makes a sweet pass on Bob in 86 for the lead. Uh, just cuts inside of him and rips across the track. Really, really good. Hannah, in 86, you know, Hannah, the guy, the same guy who made the obituary notice for Keith Bowen and everything else, uh, he, he said Omera, Omera outrode this old man. By the way, he's probably like 28 at this point, Hannah. Oh, ancient. He's just so old. Ancient, um, yeah. To win like this, I've never been pleased. I'd almost rather lose because at least I can hold my head up losing. This doesn't impress me. He beat me like this last year, and that didn't impress me. Last year, I should have beat him. This year, he should have beat me. We just traded. But Pat Alexander says that he, Bob Hanna deserved the win. So there we go. Um, Pat Alexander not having it. Not having it. Having his riders having back it. all the way. Uh, and then, um, Hey, look, Suzuki is not winning much in 86. No, they need no. to talk all they can. Yeah, uh, let's. Uh, shall we talk to uh, Homer? Do you want to drop his? Drop? Oh yeah, yeah. Let's. Uh, yeah, let's do it. So we yep. called we called uh, Johnny O about both of these USGPs, uh, the great Johnny O'Mara, to talk to him about what he remembers about it and more. So uh, here's myself and Weege and Johnny O on the Liat Reraceables. As promised on the Liat Reraceables, let's get the man on the line who uh, uh, won one of these and then took a uh, tragic loss in the other one, Unadilla USGPs, 85-86. It's Johnny O'Mara. What's up, Osho? How are you, man? Oh, I'm good, guys. Thanks for thinking of me. And, yeah, I'm just starting my day here in California. So uh, surprise, you're, yeah. surprise you're not on some 100-mile ride already, Johnny. <laughs> you know? Uh, <laughs> I will be on a ride later but not 100 miles <laughs> okay everything came down a little bit later sure. in my life <laughs> um <laughs> finally yeah he finally got there <laughs> yeah, exactly um <laughs> i talked to wardy the other day and he's got a heart surgery coming up and he's still pounding out rides and his, doc- his doctor's like hey just keep the heart rate down <laughs> it's like yeah. insane you guys are nuts <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all I can say to that is, yeah, like I have all my stuff checked pretty mm-hmm. pretty regularly, and yeah, it does get you a little nervous how many beats, <laughs> let's say, Wardy or myself have done in our lifetime as, right. at the level we've done. So, yeah, it's kind of <laughs> like treading lightly yeah. on that one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, I want to. This is my first question. So, in this day and age. You know, especially the teams are cracking down on riders doing extra races and and riders don't want to do extra races. They don't get paid for necessarily and all of this. But in your day, Johnny, like you did this Unadilla USGP 88, 89, 85, 86. You know, RJ, there was the one on the Carlsbad 500s that the guys did. Heck, RJ, in 86, RJ did the Carlsbad USGP, but you can only race one USGP a year. So RJ did the 500 support class in 86. My my question, Johnny, is were you guys contracted to do these? Did you just get to pick? Uh, and what was it like taking an off weekend to do two motos for a series that didn't matter to you? Uh, what was that whole process like in deciding on what USGP to do and why to do it and, and where to go and all of that? Um, I don't remember like the contractual part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but all I can speak is for myself on behalf of those 
Grand Prix that we did, like, I didn't even realize what you just said, like, we're only able to do one. So that makes sense. One time I did the support class at Carlsbad when I think the other boys were doing the, the big class. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, I don't know, like, for me, just personally, my, my career kind of started off with, you know, went in the mid-Ohio of GP and... Mm-hmm. Um, Obviously, I was, the following year I was on Motocross the Nations, the first winning team. I enjoyed anything that had that European European ingredients like that. So, obviously, anything in the U.S. was, in yeah. my opinion, super simple to do. Like, okay, but we might add an off weekend, but I don't know. I was one to not really take so much time off, and maybe that's why... Maybe what's why a lot of guys these days they want to go a little longer, one or two, three more years. Um, maybe for me, I could have went a little longer, but I just kind of loved racing. Really loved that year. So, right. Um, one fair amount of GP. Really look up to those even today. I, I think back about all those. Yeah, it's, uh, and you know, you guys are in the middle of title fights, right? Uh, but it doesn't seem to matter. Everybody's racing. These USGPs on either side of the country and the title fights, well, whatever, we'll get to it. It's just a different mentality back then. Yeah, like I would just say, um, I mean, we're on our motorcycles every day anyways. There's a risk that comes with the sport, and Mm -hmm. we all know that fine line. So, I don't know, I didn't feel like probably as, you know, it's way a long time for me to even speak at this because I don't remember everything, but, Mm -hmm. you know, I basically... Didn't take a lot of time off. I always was riding a motorcycle anyways to sharpen my skills. You know, I I always look at it like the more I was riding, I was taking out more of it like an insurance policy on me. Like I was going to be less vulnerable to make a mistake. Sure. And just be razor sharp all the time at any given take, any given time. Like, okay, we're going to do this race. All right, cool. I'm ready. You know, like always <laughs> just fit. Yeah. This was never a part like, oh, yeah, it's a 45-minute mode or 40 plus two. Let's yeah. put it like that. We were already in the 30 plus two here in America. But, yeah, so, like, I was always ready for that. Like, maybe, like, over, overly ready, mm-hmm. which I don't think is a bad thing at all. Uh, no, no, absolutely not. You're, you're a Southern California kid, and you did Unadilla, 85, 86, you did it 88, you did 89, you didn't you did the USGP in Carlsbad, I think just once if I remember right. Um, what was it about Unadilla for you? Do you have any idea like was it just, you know, the track and the 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 epic East Coast fans and everything else? Like what it seems like you chose Unadilla quite a bit, Johnny. Um yeah, well like when I look at Unadilla, even when I go currently with the current guys now like it was definitely a lot different back then, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, how everyone would would talk about the eight, early eighties, mid eighties. They were all even later into the early nineties. It was still kind of a grass track, like when you went out and practiced and yep. everything. And I don't know, like to me, that was pure, pure motocross. Like that was pretty unbelievable. To you know, they really just kind of seeded it, and yep. there was still the bumps under there. So like. I don't know. I, that's kind of how I was brought up, even in SoCal race, you know, riding and training. Our tracks weren't groomed and stuff. So, mm-hmm. like, other than that, was so loamy. That was always such a 
like kind of a turn on for me. Like I couldn't believe how loamy Unadilla used to be back then. It's not like this year was pretty dry there. Yep. But um, the tracks changed, and you know how many years we're talking thirty plus years. You know, like I think there's just less soil there now. So just down yep. to remember the place went to pure rocks and yep. Yep. all that. So. You know, everybody taking a little bit of dirt away on their motorcycles from every race, that type of deal. I looked at I look at that a, a lot with the way the tracks are these days. Like, um, that's kind of the way I look at it. It looks unbelievable in the YouTube videos of these two years. It just looks, it was a little bit rainy one of these years. It looks, you know, just chocolate cake, right? Um, um, really, really fun to race on. Um, yeah, it, it yeah. was really, really fun. That was, you know, that was my prime. Um, so yeah, yep. I look forward to those races. I was still, the 85 was still on the works bike, mm -hmm. me and Hannah going at it. The following year was the first year of production, but our production bikes were super, pretty super good. good. <laughs> Everybody yeah. knows in 86, they were amazing. So, yep. uh, yeah, just, uh, always loved Unadilla. It was always one that I, I had, no one had to twist my arm to go race that race. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> And uh, that is also, and I'm sure you were not involved too much in this, but we always hear legendary stories of what the crowd was like back then. Now, maybe the late night stuff you probably weren't involved with, um, but this was still a time when, I mean, Americans winning world titles, winning donations, winning GPs was still relatively new. So the crowd was very, very, very nationalistic. Uh, so the crowd seemed epic, just unbelievable, even during the motos. Forget the nighttime stuff, but it had to be nuts, the crowd, especially if you're winning. Yeah, I do. I do remember all that hearing about it. Obviously, like you said, where the athletes are not so much around that. So, uh, but yeah, it was pretty look, looked and felt, felt pretty, pretty intense, you know, especially like Hannah was like, Bob Hannah was the God there. So I always felt like they're kind of always rooting for Bob, but you know, they didn't just like me because I'm on the same team as them and all that. So other than that 86, he was already on that Suzuki, but um, felt a little bit like an underdog there, but didn't really matter. I, that stuff was all like phased out of my mind. I, you were aware of it, but not, not to where it changed how you were racing or anything like that. Yeah, in the cycle, one of the cycle news in 85, they said a fan threw a smoke bomb on the track in front of Vimon and he ate shit. So uh, they weren't going to throw a smoke bomb in front of O'Mara. But <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, That's, yeah. yeah. The crowd That's was funny because yeah, like I mean, it probably happened. I just I think we're like I know I was just so focused, right? Didn't see that, but you yeah. know, even even me racing in Europe all those times, we weren't the favorites. I didn't ever, I don't believe I had any smoke bombs or anything <laughs> like that. Actually, a lot of it was they were pretty excited to see us race in America in Europe. Let's just say when I when we came from the United States mm -hmm. over to Europe, so we were well welcomed around the world um, in my day, in my day. Yeah. You know, some of the, like McGrath talks about the 96 title that he lost to Emig outdoors, right? And as one that got away, and Carmichael talks about some of his losses. A lot of these guys, the greats, remember the losses as opposed to the wins because that's the stuff that drives you guys. So for this purpose of this Lee at Re-Raceables, you won in 85, you went 2-1. 86, you smoke the first moto uh, and winning the second moto. And on the last lap, you run out of gas, uh, literally half the track to go. D does the loss in 86 stick with you more than the win in 85, Johnny? Yeah, I think it, it, that's a good way to put it. it. It does because I get more people bringing 
bringing that up to my attention about me running out of gas in 86 and it's all it's all good you know even even then i was okay with it because like you said it wasn't my series i was just showing up i was doing my thing you know in all reality everybody knew i was gone and i had that thing won i just used too much i didn't get good gas mileage you know the the dirt was super deep and i was trying to really pull away from hannah Mm -hmm. and Dude, you know, maybe uh, these days, maybe you think about that a little bit, too. Like, you know, that was also when I did run out of gas, that was a production rule. So we couldn't put on a uh, a gas tank or anything like that. So I think we used the heat gun and expanded it a little bit. But mm-hmm. I still uh, used it. Just I needed another float pole full of gas. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. No, it's all good. You know, I won. In my eyes, I kind of knew I won it. It was cool to have Bob win it. He hadn't won that. So, you know, I had so much respect for Hannah. And he was always a big role model for me, to inspiration to work hard, train harder than everybody. He was the guy I looked up to. So for me to, you know, have him on my team in those Honda days and then battling with him pretty hard. Right. And um, So I had no – I. Had, I didn't leave there totally pissed off. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Go ahead, Weech. Oh. I always wondered how you guys got along because we always hear these stories of uh, Hannah's just so darn gnarly and wants to hate the guys he has to beat. Now you're on the same team, so maybe that changes it. Like when he came over to Honda in 83 and you're already there, were you guys cool or was he out there to break your legs like he said he was to break everybody else's? Because it actually sounds like you got along, which I didn't expect. Yeah, I was one of the, I want to say I was probably one of the few guys that he liked. And <laughs> we just hit it off from the get-go. I think he, I think he knew like what the, the lay of the land out there, who's trying hard, who works hard, skill level, all that. I mean, he, I think he really didn't have anything that he could not like about me, just to be honest. And, and then I, he had probably always heard that I, I always mentioned uh, Bob Hanna's name as someone that, like, when I was a kid, even though I'm just a few years younger than him, I was still, like, Bob Hanna was one, Mark Barnett. I can just name a few guys that I really looked up to 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 build myself into being a champion like those guys were. So I think it was just mutual, you know, respect. And even though I was kind of young and kind of a wild little crazy teenager back then, so... Mm-hmm. He just got a kick out of me, bottom line. He, I made him laugh. I know I made him laugh a lot. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> he, he, uh, he said, he goes, uh, O'Mara didn't pass me because I was tired. He passed me because he went faster. This is 86 when he won <laughs> when you run out of gas. He said, uh, he rode me into the ground. I came here the best I could. Uh, you know, he gave you a lot of props after the win, after the running out of gas. He, the whole quotes in Cycle News is Hannah saying how well you rode and how you were better than him. So, yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty big compliment, you know, coming from him. You know, sure, like, I was a little more, I don't want to say in the prime, but, yeah. you know, you know, Bob was a few years older, and, you know, that's always the case. The new new generation coming, Bob's kind of already at the very top and, you know, already kind of thinking about landing his career. And, yeah, like that that one day, that was quite a compliment that he did that. But, yeah, like, in all reality, I, I felt like I just wore him out. 
bottom line, but he was also switched to the other bike mm-hmm. and, and that. So, you know, I think I had an advantage and everything lined up. My stars were perfect, you know, as far as how that lined up, super fit, still pretty healthy. My knees were still pretty good. I was, uh, I was a stronger guy that day. Right. I want to ask about 85 when you're on the same team and those awesome looking, uh, works Hondas, uh, the first moto is just an unbelievable battle uh, with you two. I don't know how much you remember about it. Uh, I mean, RJ was even in there. Uh, also, a couple other guys. Uh, Keith Bone was in there. I mean, it was a gnarly battle. Wardy. And eventually, I think he, Wardy was, but I guess he had a bad day, right? He, Wardy no, was he, in the he, photo. But. He did a flying W. There's a famous photo yeah. of him hanging <laughs> out on the bars, going right over yes. the bars. Yes. He was in the race, but he wasn't in that battle up front like the rest of you four. And it was just epic, you and Hannah going at it. I don't know if you remember the details of that. And then Hannah ends up winning. I think he, I think you guys came together even. Uh, I don't know if you remember all that, but it was unbelievable to watch that. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I didn't really focus on all those other names that you're talking about. It just felt like it was almost a Bob and I race together. And it was just so focused on that that it, I didn't even realize who else was back in that race, but there were some big guys still in there. So, but I do recall what you said, uh, that far back left turn, I just kind of squared him up. Like we both mm-hmm. came in, the red came together and I, we did hit. And from there, I think I just kind of dabbed my foot a little bit. I'm ah, oh, sorry, Bob, kind of that deal. And kind of like, I don't want to say like I conceded, but go ahead, Bob. You, that was kind of bad on my part to come in and hit my teammate like that. And I just kind of saved it for the second moto in all reality. And uh, yeah, sure enough, it came down to that second moto, like probably 30-minute mark. I think I recall it. You know, I just kind of dogged them, stalked them for quite a while and planned my where I thought I could get them and, and then put a pretty big surge in there to the finish. You know, uh, yep. Yeah, it, you, uh, you hit them. You put your hand up even. After you get by them, you put your hand up. He goes around you. And then you, you say in the cycle news that you twisted your knee or you hurt your knee. It took about three laps for the pain to go away, you know, and then you took it, you took it home in second. Yeah. Yeah, that's probably true because I remember it was the left corner. <laughs> right, probably uh, true. Yeah, my left corner was my, is my good knee now that I think about it. <laughs> so uh, maybe that's how I was able to recover in a few laps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. My right knee, my right knee is the bad one to have the full replace now and everything. So right. I don't know. I, like I said, like I had so much respect for Bob. Like I probably felt a little embarrassed just clobbering him in that corner. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad we didn't go down. So if the hand went up, it was just like, oh shit, sorry, Bob. Like yeah. that's literally probably how I felt. And because uh, I I didn't race that way. I know everyone said we raced pretty hard back then. If we did, but I was never one to like, you know. Yeah. Ultimately, just clean people out and stuff. Everything was pretty calculated with me. If you didn't have to hit him, contact. I, that's the way I. That's the way I raced and was taught to race. Uh, the the disparity in lines too is pretty funny to watch. And Weed, you watched it too. Unadilla, obviously epic. I mean, in eight, I'm thinking 85 more than 86 when you guys are battling. Like you, you're 40 feet to his left, and then you pivot and cut across the back of him to the other side of the right hand side of the track. Bob's flowing through the middle. Like, it was such a cool track. You could go anywhere you wanted. You guys were both switching lines, swapping spots on the track. Just you could ride anywhere. You could stop and, and cut the corner. That oh, was just really cool racing. You know, that's classic Unadilla. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's Unadilla for sure. There's 
probably a handful of tracks that are like that where you can race it like that if you go super wide. I mean, you see that some of the best guys do it even today. You know, they're able to find tracks where they can, you know, it doesn't matter if it's 20 feet wider, but they can just piece it together and still keep the momentum and shorten it up, mm-hmm. dive inside. Like, it's, it's just dissecting the course and the greats know how to do it yeah like definitely unadilla was and especially back then we could uh we could ride all different lines never had to follow because you know it's not Mm -hmm. too good to follow you get roosted all the things all the above there so you just kind of just get that clean air that's what we all talk about and that's it's just been like that our whole career it's always nice to have clean air like that you win in 85 um We've talked about this on this show where we visit a lot of races around this era. Um, did you guys know eventually that, oh, this is the last year we're going to have these super trick works bikes, and it turned out the production bike, if anything, you guys were even stronger the next year. But I'm sure you didn't know that was coming. Uh, did you remember 85 being like, oh, man, it's going to be the last time we ride these things? Did that run through your mind throughout that season? Well, like I, I can't totally remember exactly, but like I do always – think that i was super lucky to have half of my career on the works bikes because it was pretty spectacular and then being on the the powerful honda team like that so yeah i always felt like we did have an advantage on everyone no matter what the circumstances was we were ahead of the game on the development of the bikes i mean it was was insane so um but being like okay 85 we know we have to ride one in 86 we'd already ridden those bikes probably like two or three years even before that so oh wow yeah they like a lot of people like don't realize and they don't do it so much now it's still pretty interesting to me you know you know and i'll bring up ricky's name for that for an example he never went to japan like it just blows me away like so we went to japan two times a year every year like uh for the supercross and then even like to do a gp at the end and also like two weeks of testing so we'd ride stuff that like like what you're talking about like i rode that 86 bike whether it was a 125 or 250 like we already rode that stuff and like where i think some of us even said dude they're better than the works bike like that's (laughs) how and sometimes just like anything like ah like okay i just got to go back to my works bike which was unreal but that was that was the side that's always a little bit tricky even for this day and age if they ride something and they know they can't race it it's not a great feeling so um but that's how ahead of the game like least honda was in my day that mid-80s stuff we were already riding that stuff way in advance uh because what i'm getting at here is so uh hannah moves to suzuki in 86 and uh as you would experience this was not suzuki this is suzuki in a rebuild process this is not the full floater barnett howerton era for suzuki any longer uh do you remember talking to him about that when he had switched teams and then eventually you race head-to-head at this one where he's on the suzuki uh do you remember anything about that because i'm imagining it was a bit of a step away from the honda when he had to switch yeah i mean i don't recall the the face-to-face like like that i don't think that any of us riders really would even we're not like we're professionals we're not we're not supposed to say anything like that um, but you know, it was yep. only a year or two later, I I left and went to Suzuki too. Bob was my teammate, so I know when I went there, I was like, okay, wow, okay, I'm gonna have to. This is gonna be a pretty <laughs> rebuilding process. I brought my mechanic with me. Um, 
I'm pretty sure Bob did the same same route. He just had a year or two already on the bike before I got there. And yeah, it was, it's it's tough leave, leaving the best team. Bottom line, that that's that's a hard one to do. Should have should have won eighty nine Anaheim, Johnny. God, that would have been awesome for you to to do that on a Suzuki. Um, yeah, I yep. still another one like you said. Where okay, I ran out of gas in eighty six. You know, Dylan, I get so many people about what you just said about. The steering stem broke on that bike. Yep. It, well, I had the few laps to go, and I had virtually had that win. Yep. So yeah, like I, I have some standout moments that always people want to talk to me about. Which, you know, <laughs> that one I was pretty frustrated with because I, you know I'm more at the tail end of my career, you know, uh, and I'm like, you know, just had the win. I pulled away. Like, and yep. then being on the Suzuki, or I was a little bit of an underdog, but I did develop that bike pretty good in two years with my mechanics. Yeah. Felt. So that thing was. Yeah, by '89, they were pretty good. Yeah, oh, that bike yep. was really good that year. Like, yep. literally, I didn't, I didn't. If I would have been a little bit still more in my prime, mm-hmm. I think I could have won more races or whatever. But right. yeah, definitely I was a hard one to let slip away. So famously in eighty six at on the tro at the podium, uh you present Bob with an autographed uh gas tank. Uh do you, was it Jim's idea, your mechanic Jim felt? Was it your idea? Do you remember walking over there? Do you remember Bob's reaction? How did that go? Because that's pretty funny. I, I think it was my idea. Okay. I mean like, I don't think Jim would say that, because, like, do that. It was just me, my personality. Like, yeah, it was yeah. all good. I was, like I said, like, you know, Jim Feltz, good friends with McCarty. All, like, it was, we almost traveled all together. We were all so close. But, like, I'm pretty sure it was just me. Mm-hmm. Take that thing off, Jim. Let me sign <laughs> that thing to Bob. Just a moment, like that moment you just felt like it was yeah. kind of right. Hopefully people were going to get it and not right. think in. Oh, can, and it, hey Johnny, there was you, no negativity on it. Everyone just kind of chuckled. Can on you it. imagine the social media reaction today if Jet Lawrence signed his gas tank and ran, you know, ran, ran to the podium and gave it to somebody? Oh God! Yeah, right? I, <laughs> yeah, I can't even. But yeah, but that's a whole other world now. Yeah. But at, at, but at the point you gave Bob your autographed uh, gas tank, he probably had the trophy girl on his shoulders or full making out with her. So we're all <laughs> we're, at this point, like it's the '80s, right? Like it could have all been happening and nobody cared, so it didn't matter. Yeah, yeah you hit it on the nail. It, that was everything you just said was happening. <laughs> Here's the gas yeah. tank for you. So yeah, every once in a while at the race race office, we just get another. Hey, somebody discovered another 1980s Unadilla podium photo, and it's just always even crazier than the previous one. Right? <laughs> it's like it's like a five or six year span of these podium photos. We cannot show these photos anywhere. No, no, no. There's yeah. some there's some epic ones out there. Uh, Lee at Reraceables with Johnny O'Mara. Uh, speaking about the couple of USGPs, Johnny, do you still have? The 85 trophy or plaque or somewhere? Do you have it? Yeah, like, I do. Like, I got a lot of my stuff. It's not so much out. Like, my garage is kind of the only place that looks a little bit like I was a racer. <laughs> my <laughs> yeah. house, like, people always freak. But, like, I'll even bring out, like, a little box sometimes and show Hunter and Jet or something. Like, hey, here's some medals and mm-hmm. rings. And they just freak when they look through it. Like, so, like, you know, there's Motocross Nation stuff. There's... Supercross championship ring. They always love that. They're like, dude, wear that when we go to the go to the race. It's going to motivate me. So like little things like that. <laughs> I have all that. You can imagine. I just don't really yeah expose it too much to the. I don't know. Like I don't need. I like looking at it, but I like 
I've already lived it, you know, so I'm yeah. all good. But... Well, you, you've done so much, uh, national championship, supercross championship, right? But like, like Dogger, for example, uh, also national champion, uh, Ronnie says his wins at Unadilla in 84 and he won Hollister, I think in 89, the fact that he represented USA at these races and he won, you know, against the world's best GP riders, he always told me they meant a little more to him. Um, so I was just kind of thinking if for you, if the Unadilla thing, if the Unadilla win in 85 uh, kind of ranks a little above uh, a national win or, you know what I mean? Like, uh, where does where does it rank for you? You've done so much, but is it something special? Yeah, to me, they would cla- they would be classed in my eyes bigger than an outdoor national supercross national mm-hmm. um that's just me saying that so i do agree with how ronnie said that like whether if i i don't know if i've got three or four whatever it is something like that i remember them all like they're super special obviously i can jump over to designations those are super special mm-hmm. to me um because that's our olympics which are going to happen this weekend so like those are all real special to me absolutely you know what I think people probably would forget is, okay, you're growing up racing in the 70s into the 80s. Um, the, the the specter of winning a GP as an American or beating Europeans as American, I'm sure when you were growing up, had a totally different tilt to it than it would for Americans now. Like, I'm sure 10 years before you win this GP in 1975, that's like a dream for anybody to win a GP. So that's probably the part that's been missed through history. I'm sure you were looking up to those Euro guys, how good they were when you were young. Yeah, for sure. It's all like... <clears throat> I want to say it's maybe almost like motocross in Europe. They were the best at it. Do I want to say they're the best now? They're they're damn good still, as everybody knows, and we have to bring our A game to beat them. Um, So, and then we went after that. We controlled the world. Designation wins, consecutive wins. We were kind of the best of both then, obviously, Supercross and Motocross. So, you know, we could almost be a little bit like the underdogs now, even though, you know, we're pretty damn good all over the world. Um, yeah, so, like, if that makes sense to you mm-hmm. now, like, you know, there's some un- insane world champions in Europe, you know, Geyser and all that, uh, VL, all that. They're amazing. We saw what Tony can still do, even being retired. It's impressive, you know. So, um, and then Hurlings, of course, we know could be the fastest guy on the planet. Uh, just he had a lot of injuries and wasn't able to race this year. So, I know, I know that when I still think, I think those guys are insane in motocross still at this day. So, right. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, uh, it's funny though, at this point in 85, 86, you look at the results, and these are the the best riders that are in their world championship, of course, Vimond and Kindergartner and all those guys. And at this point, America, I mean, Ricky Ryan, Eric Kehoe, yourself, and Bob Bomber is in the mix at, in 85. You guys are almost a freight train of American riders. At this point, it was, it was no doubt. You know, these guys were fighting for fifths, sixes, you know. Uh, yeah, pretty funny to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're still there. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So what? Yeah, what I'd say is, I mean, there was like a few t- or a couple times I wasn't even picked on the destinations team. I was champion. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, like you said, it was pretty stacked there. Like now we're having to kind of, I don't want to say twist people's arms and stuff because dude, we got an awesome team for this year for 2022 at Redbud. So, um, but you know, for a while there, not like not everybody was 
all in for it. Um, but we were all like waiting mm-hmm. for that phone call in our day. You know, I know I was personally, I'm like, man, how did they not call me? I was the champ that year. Like, but they just went, you know, and I'm not going to complain. I was, just was a, on the team yeah. plenty of times. So I've got, you know, but I was just like, man, I feel like I should have been on the team every year. Yeah. And it was I such a deep field, right? <laughs> yeah. I would have never turned it down in yeah. any circumstances. I would not have turned it down. Right. Right. Um, yeah. uh, yeah. Interesting to hear that. Hey, so when, and, and just to clarify too, for Hannah, he's kind of like an 82 at Yamaha. He doesn't have a great year. 81, not great. Bikes aren't great. And Bailey's told, said this in 83, when he jumps on a factory bike with you and David, uh, and everybody, uh, he's the fastest guy in 83. He just gets hurt. He's a little stew like, right. He's blazing fast, but can't keep it on two wheels. But in 83, Bailey has said how fast Bob was going at different races. Yeah, that and, you know, David and I would always be training and testing with them. And we'd just always be shaking our head like, wow, like just amazing how fast he was on the works Honda. Yeah. And, and he got, you know, I don't recall all the little injuries that happened with them, but that's just part of it. And, yeah, mm-hmm. like he grenaded himself a couple times and then he would be like trying to race. And you know how that is yeah. when you're yeah. injured. Um yeah, yeah, it was amazing. Like, like it was good to be exposed to that, David and I, even back then, because we were the technical, like Mister Smooth. You yeah, know, not not a lot of risk. We we'd see that even when RJ came over to the team, he brought that intense uh, intensity level. So it always challenged us to like keep stepping up our, mm-hmm. our programs. And yeah, like we've had David and I both had some of the best. Uh, racers around us that on the Honda team back then. And then yeah. first mm-hmm. they, they would always, even Hannah or those guys go, man, you know, Johnny and David, like the technical guys, they would try to be, how do you do that wheel tap? Do that. Yeah. I mean, just all mm-hmm. these little things were like, dude, you, how can you not do that? And go so fast. Like, God, you have no skill. <laughs> you just like you just you don't know how to use the you right. know how to use the clutch just to kind of you know yeah. it would just be so comical like we all gave it to each other and yeah we'd ride there by i remember always riding bob's bike hey try bob's bike try that fork yeah. and i i would just come back go, i can't even ride this thing like dude his forks were so <laughs> stiff front brake you'd about do a nose wheelie over he had such a strong he, front brake is those are things that always pop in my mind he ran a drum he ran a rear drum for a while over you guys, okay. yeah. You guys had discs. Yeah, he didn't. Yeah. He didn't like the feel. Right. He didn't like the feel in the back with that uh, disc. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, those kind of forks and that front brake had to be so stiff on the front forks. I could like a Stewie, you know, like yep. how Stew rents. And then, uh, and then he had to have power like a MotoGP bike, you know, going <laughs> the, like he could just do a nose wheel, probably like the brakes nowadays, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. He was that. Or you know, sure. if I had that, I remember doing it. Like, dude, I about lose the front end you know like like i was like oh my god it's too touchy you know that type of deal sure yeah uh, amazing yeah no no videos of any of this stuff either and i also feel correct me if i'm wrong i feel like it was a little more uh like freedom like like bailey tells me stories of you guys you know riding in hills and hannah taking you some crazy spots and now it's like everybody just rides a supercross track or everybody rides the motocross track that they have at their facility it sounded a little more I guess raw maybe is the term I would use where you guys could, could just kind of go out and ride sometimes. Yeah. That's probably like the one thing, like for me, like I wish they could 
bring some of that back a little bit. Like, but the, all the facilities are just outdoor tracks, a couple of supercross tracks. No one has the property. I mean, Honda land is what made that available, you know, in Simi Valley, the Honda place. So it was just, it was a, a riding heaven. You like, you could do anything and Honda wouldn't say, Oh yeah. Like you can't go do that. Um, we just broke right. up and did that type of stuff. <laughs> I always felt like Castillo's ranch was kind of like that. I know when we, we go up there a little bit, yeah, I went up there with a hunter and jet, like I go, Oh, this is like paradise. You could go ride in the Hills, do stuff like that. It was the only thing that ever felt like that same vibe that we had available. Like let's say Honda land. Um, I think I know like maybe down there they can go ride Croom. There's some trails there, but it's so different than like how we used to, integrate some stuff for our skill level or whatever like actually just kind of fun break it up the monopoly you know instead of just going okay go do your motos do your 25 laps super crop deal like it's that gets a little old but we we all know we have to do it did you go to any hannah like just crazy cliff hill climb desert stuff that he was famous for yeah, and, like, I kind of forgot about all that. I remember going out to Bean Canyon, like, everybody might have heard that out by Lancaster at Palmdale with Bob and just doing that stuff all day long. It was amazing. Like, it was so fun. Like, really fun. Yeah. It, I, even, it would almost feel like you wouldn't even were training, but you were. Like, yeah. with that kind of music. Yeah, sure, sure. Kyle yeah. Lewis told me, Kyle went out with Bob a few times when he was at first coming on the scene. He's just like, the guy could go up a goat trail. He could go up any any canyon or cliff you wanted, Bob would do it, and you throw it in the middle of the moto. That would be part of his moto track, you know, just up and up in desert stuff. He just said it was amazing. Yeah, yeah, that, that's funny. Say so yeah, yeah, yeah. They had those like uh, seven minute lap time right, deals. Right. Like actually, last week I, when I was in Florida, I put together like this track for Jet and Hunter. It was like five minutes, you know. Yep. And they're going, God, that's freaking cool, man. That's like. <laughs> 30 minutes went by like that. I'm like, yeah, like this is, you know, they were like kind of into it. Like I thought that was kind of cool. I'm like, you always talk about that track. You always talk about that one. We're putting them all together here. I put two cones out and then, and it was easy to get another 35 out of them. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. Right. Yeah. Interesting. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. Just something a little bit different, you know, like that. I put a little, cause you can tell they just get, they just get stale. You know, the season's over. we got another race designations. Motos after motos after motos on top of each other all year round. It, you know, that's where we just kind of, it, it could almost be like, even if I was going off season, like how everybody is now, I could still do stuff like that and didn't not even feel like I'm just freshening up like my mental part. Like it's not even staying fit, but also staying a little bit on your motorcycle where you're still pretty mm -hmm. good, you know? Awesome. Awesome. Uh Lee at Re-Raceables, Johnny O'Mara, 85-86, Unadilla, USGP, a couple of epic battles with Bob Hanna. Probably should have came away with two wins, uh, but, uh, yeah, the one that got away uh, needed, a, like you said, a float bowl more of fuel, Johnny, and you'd be a two-time Unadilla, USGP <laughs> winner. Hey, I so, forgot. I think I asked no. you about this just in person, but I didn't ask you on the show. Um, what was the sensation? I'm sure you had run out of gas on bikes before. Everybody's done it. Um, did you know, did you feel it coming or something like that? No, it was too late. Or did you try to hold, you know, that last thimble full? Do, do you remember that last lap? Yeah, no, I remember to the, to the T that one thing I think where, uh, Steve said, he knows that left corner back there at Unadilla. I got through that corner, but then I, you go across that kind of off camber before you go up those rollers. Yeah. We're, Unadilla, we're Pastrana. Yeah. Pastrana. Yeah. Uh, yeah, went exactly. down. yeah, yeah. 
Exactly. So on that off camber, I felt my, I felt the bike kind of pinging, uh, because of the carburetors and stuff back then. Like it typical, I used to run my bike out of gas almost daily because, uh, that's sometimes that was part of my training. I just run a tank through and just had to be a little careful. Like you just, you still had that indicator that it's running out of gas. So it was, it was doing that on that off camera. You said like the Pastrana spot or whatever. And then when you go up that next thing, I remember it bogged and I kind of wanted to jump that. And then I made it to the top there and I put the choke on just to get me down the thing. But that's when I just coasted because you put a choke on a two stroke, you'll get another turn or two. <laughs> so I felt it. <laughs> well, I don't know exactly what you call that off-camera thing there. I felt it from there, and I probably went, whatever that is, 200 more yards, you know, up that hill, down it, and then I coasted into the big sky jump they come out of now, right? Yeah. Like that there. And I was in that pit where no one knew I was. I was. I pulled to the way left side. I don't even th- don't think Bob even saw me. I was just sitting there all by myself, you know, just one foot down, just kind of, wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, but- around. Bob says in cycle news he had no idea he won. He did not see him passing you. Yeah. Yeah. And there's ruts all down. I and I creeped on the inside anyways. I was like on the banners. There's ruts. There's 15 ruts you got to take down there. You're not even looking. You're only looking at the rut because if you look off, you'll freaking crash. You know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you knew it. you had that sinking feeling. I would imagine. Yeah. Like you, I'm not gonna make it. Yeah, it's not like the bikes now. The bikes now, they just they're fuel injected. They just cut out, like putting the kill button on. Yep. So back in our day, all that when they're just a normal carburetor, they they start pinging and and then they'll, you know, like the, the the gas will splash up and down, you know, a little bit on that. So I knew I knew she was coming. I knew I was wasn't making it. <laughs> oh, tough, tough feeling to know that. Well, yeah, That's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah. Uh, awesome. Um, thanks for the talk. Any anything else, Weech, for for O Show? No, I'm good. I appreciate it. We'll be we'll be hanging this weekend. We'll see you soon. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Thanks very much, Johnny, for the time on the Lee at Reraceables. A couple of epic races. Yeah, Motocross the Nation's coming up. Uh, always near and dear to your heart, as well as a lot of fans as well. So thanks, Johnny. Thanks for the time. I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for call. We'll see you later. See ya. Yep. See you soon. Yep. Bye. Good stuff from Johnny Wage. Always uh, fun and yeah, just uh, I mean Johnny. Johnny's class. Whenever you interview him about anything, he's he's you know he's always class. He just that's the way he is. He just rem- he's very grateful for his career. He's very appreciative of what he's been able to do. He doesn't have a huge head. So he's not going around, you know, talking about what a bad dude he was. And I think it came across yep. in that interview. That's all. That's Johnny right there. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't really. It's funny. Like he's very content with just being. Uh, he's just a trainer or whoever you want to associate him with the Lawrence Brothers right now. Whatever you want to do. He yeah. doesn't need to remind anybody like, oh, and by the way, I also used to race and all these other trainers. I could smoke all those dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm the only trainer out here who's won a Supercross title. But he never tells you that. Nope. No, he's just always that way. And uh, but yeah, yep. good stuff from him for sure uh, in there. And, and like a lot of reverence for Bob. You know, you could you could hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Now there is um, Johnny is all class. He's very serious in these interviews. But there is a side to Johnny O'Mara that you and I have heard the stories behind the scenes. Oh, he yeah. Said Hannah probably did find him funny. There was a off the track wild side. And I don't mean partying because O'Mara was a training animal. But these dudes, you know, <clears throat> they weren't saints either. No, they were not. Rental cars. There are epic stories of rental car. Poop, yeah. Poop, sam- poop sandwiches. <laughs> all yeah, of the this. hijinks, the yeah. pranks. Fire extinguishers, um, all of this. Yes. Yes. They were still young men making a lot of money 
and making immature decisions. Don't don't get us wrong. Right. These things were still happening. Um, <laughs> thanks to the folks at uh, Guts Racing, by the way. Speaking of uh, a great company, great guys there, Andy, Greg, and everybody. Guts Racing. Uh, Pulp 2022 is the code to say with Guts. Get new seat foam. Get new seat covers. Uh, you can custom make your covers with your own stripes and your own colors. Non-slip covers of vintage stuff as well. Foams, tall foams, short foams, all of it. Uh, GutsRacing.com. Please check them out. They work with a lot of teams in the sport. And do great things over there at Guts Racing. Thank you to Pro Taper as well, the Sella Start device, the ACF bar, which is the, the lightest one in one handlebar on the market, carbon fiber ends uh, going on. And uh, at this point, they probably had the answer. No, no, they didn't have the Illuminate at this point in 86. Oh, no. Got to be close. Around I know, I remember Osho had them by the time he had that 89 Suzuki. Definitely yeah. I remember that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but check yeah. out check them out uh, protaper.com, Sprockets Chains, Rockstar Energy, Husqvarna, Star Racing Yamaha using the bars. So thank you to the folks at Protaper, uh, protaper.com for more information. Um, so please check them out. Thanks to the folks at Maxis and Scott as well, Leah as well. Um, okay. Uh, what else from this 86 year? Uh, shout out Billy Lyles, second overall, privateer rider. At this point, Billy had been dropped by um, Cowie after 85, and uh, he's a privateer dude this year. 3-2 uh, for, for, for uh, second overall. And Jorgen Nielsen gets third in this third, second moto. He's a Danish Suzuki rider, I believe. Um, so, yeah, good job. I do not recall that. I do not recall no. the podium from Jorgen Nielsen no. after having watched this race 19,000 times. Johnny goes yeah. one tenth overall for with a 1 DNF. That's also a tough beat, too. You figure it would be a little bit higher than that, but hey, whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, good good races, both of them, uh, and of course the Mick takes the five hundred support win. Do you want to do the time for the? Is it time for the categories? Uh, yeah, yep. Liat.com, Liat Reraceables categories. We uh, we do these each and every race. And again, if you want a deal from the folks at Liat, just email us using a contact form on Pulpamex, and we'll get it on, get it over to you. Uh, great races, both of these. Well, we're covering two of them, so I guess let's do. I get you pick the categories, either race. Or we can go one per for race. It's up to you, each. We'll, we'll call an audible here. What do you want to do? No, I think uh, I think we'll just wrap it all. Okay, you know, pick from either one. Pick okay, from either one. Yep. All right, sounds good. Uh, Reraceables categories. Who really won the race? Well, Pat Alexander's called it. I mean, Bob Hanna. Uh, <laughs> Bob Hanna really won the race and really deserved it uh, in '86. Um, honestly, though, like, yeah, he did get fortunate with O'Mara running out of gas. Johnny was the better rider. The fans loved Bob Hanna at Unadilla. Pat Alexander loved Bob Hanna. Bob Hanna loved Bob Hanna. He really won the race. Bob Hanna did, in my opinion. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll counter you on that. I mean, these should have been two wins for Amara. Um, I do want to give lots of credit for Hanna for being fast as shit in 85. And by the way, they do a really good job <clears throat> on these shows, almost poetically. In 85, they are building up this. Hanna has always been crazy fast at Unadilla. But something always goes wrong. His bike breaks, and he doesn't win. They build this up in 85. They're building this story up, not knowing that a year later he would end up finally winning when someone else runs out of gas. And they do a good job. This is all Larry Myers and everybody at Seals and even Scott McLemore, who's still around now. It's part of these shows even back then. Uh, they build that story up that Hannah is fast but never has luck at Unadilla. So when, poetically, Amara runs out of gas, it's like – so many times it's happened the opposite way. And now Hannah finally takes advantage of someone else's bad luck. So Omer's the best guy overall of these four motos. I'll say he really won the race. But uh, if you are 
Not sure why Bob Hanna is such a legend. Just watch these. Nah, Hanna's really won the race. The fans won it. Okay. So, um, yeah, the fans were nuts for Hanna, yep. no doubt. Uh, who's that guy award? I mean, with GSGPs, there's no oh. shortage of guys. Uh, I am, oh, yeah. I, but a lot of these guys I've heard of because, you know, I've followed the sport for so long and everything else. But honestly, there's a dude. Uh, well, I'll let you go first, Weege, if you have, buddy, but I have one. No, no, go ahead. Okay. I know a lot of these names. I follow the sport yep. closely. I've read these cycle news. I've read MXAs. But eighth overall in 86, Simo Tiny on a Husqvarna goes 8-9. I don't even know if that's a real person. I've never heard of a dude named Simo Tiny. I don't know what country he's from, but he beats Jeremy Watley, who I've heard of. He beats Colin Dugmore. He beats Peter Hansen. He beats IJ, AJ Whiting, Mike, M M Michelle Fanton. I've heard of all these guys, Michelle Rinaldi. Yep. I I've never heard of Simo Tiny on a Husky. I again, don't even know what country he's from. And also, by the way, in 86, Husky owners are junk. So shout out to him for doing that on a Husky. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a million of these names. That's 86, right? Yeah, that's 86. Yeah. So just to be fair here, I will go to uh, 85 and, uh, pick, and, and the same thing. You just see these random credit to the cycle news reporter, Kip Palmer in 86. I don't even know who's the guy that wrote it in the, the previous year. I've never heard of this guy. Uh, but anyway, they, the work that it must have taken to get all these names right and know who all these guys were and giving like top 10 rundowns of like, it'd be easy to be like, ah, it's just the American guys, the guys I know. Yeah. yeah. They, they, Timo, who's the name of your guy? Simo uh, Timey. Simo Timey. Yeah. At one point they mentioned how he was doing in the motos. Uh, so let me go. I'll go in uh, 85. I will go with uh, Soren Mortensen. I'll go Soren Mortensen, 10th in the first moto. Congratulations, you're a top ten. Yeah, I've heard of him. I've heard oh, of you him. Have. Yep, yep. But uh he got seventh overall in eighty six. Um by the way, um Hannah take took over second after Vimon bailed hard. So Jackie Vimon again in eighty six bailed hard. A spectator thrown a smoke bomb onto the track as the pack came around on the first lap. Vimon charged from his usual inside line to avoid the blinding smoke bomb and hit a bump and went down. He recovered near the end of the pack, but a few laps later, Vimon endowed going up a hill and decided to call it quits. This is 86 after he pulled off an 85. So, yes, Jackie Vimon. Yeah. Jackie Vimon. Yeah. No, Jackie Vimon. No one could hate this track. More you know, than I might. I see Jackie at Paris really? a lot. Yes. And I am going to ask him this year if I go to Paris this year about this. Yes. Jackie. So the smoke we, bomb. The smoke bomb, the Unadilla, all of it. I'm going to ask him about all oh. of it. Yeah, um, two two days in hell, 85 and 86 for him. Yeah. I got a controversial lit kit award, but you go ahead. Well, um, just as you want to give Hannah the award there as who really won, because Hannah and Unadilla are so synonymous, I think this might be the only chance ever to give out a lit kit award to HRP Gear. That was mine. That was mine. Uh, Hannah my Racing Products. I'm not sure if I'm truly swayed by how good the gear looked, although the flak jacket is super cool, and I still think it'd be a badass chest protector right now. Someone wore one right now. It would be cool. But more importantly, when the hell else are we going to give a lit kit award to HRP? Okay, so I'm going to – because you – yes. So I don't know what he wore at this race in 86. I don't exactly remember. But he had the the what, the yellow swipe across the pants and the jersey that matched in 86. Yep. And I like yeah. that. I like that look. So I'm going to go to Ricky Ryan, who had flow oh. green. 
Uh, Fox stuff, chest protector, yep. open face helmet. Uh, always a cool helmet Ricky Ryan had. So I'll go Ricky Ryan in 86. Um, eight, the shit kid award. Um, well, the shit end of the stick award goes to Jackie Vimond. We'll, 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 yes. We'll, yeah. We'll, we'll improvise and call it that. But honestly, Billy Lyles' gear racing stuff looks horrid in 86. So Okay. That's what you're going with. I might go shit kit for that. Uh, what do you got? Uh, Kindergartner, what is he even wearing? What is Heinz Kindergartner even wearing in this I, photo? I, I cannot even tell. I think that's KTM branded stuff. Oh, oh, geez. It could it be Kinney? Was, didn't at one point Kindergartner have stuff that said Kinney, or am I mixing that up with somebody else's he, gear? Not he, related. That's not related. Um, he's got KTM right side up on his pant and then upside down on right <laughs> next to it. It's it's something else. Yeah, dude, that's 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 got shit kit. Sorry, Kenny. Yeah, that, sorry. That is shit kit. You're right. Maybe I'll, maybe that's even bet worse than the gear stuff. It's not good. Um, Lee, yeah. Lee hey, Vimone is a, a JT guy. At yeah. This point. Is JT he's got, still? He's got JT the, still good. He's got the pink stuff. He's running pink at these he, races. Yeah. Yeah. Like Glover style. Is that? Is it still good? Oh still yeah. Cool with it? Oh yeah. Oh okay. Don't you? Yeah. Don't you even <laughs> worry about it. Uh <laughs> Where's JT Award? Well, yeah, it's 1985, so he is six years old. Chances that Frank and Cindy are here are probably 50-50. You know, you know New York. Oh, they could be scoring. Maybe they're working that 500 support class, helping out. Yeah, who knows, right? Yep. Uh, JT playing baseball, perhaps. Because remember JT just dropping as he always does. So shady. Yeah. Just dropped on us like earlier this year. He's like, oh, yeah, baseball. I was huge into baseball. Huge, huge like baseball, baseball guy. Nonstop. Right, right. <laughs> we're like, wait, what? Street bikes, baseball, all of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. So he's probably playing T-ball. Uh, yeah. Uh, all right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Jacob Marsak Award for the uh, rider who finishes the best that you didn't really think about. Uh, I don't. This isn't my Jacob Marsak Award, but Tom Carson goes 14-13 for ninth overall in 86. 14 In 85, uh, Tom Carson whole shot both he, motos. He did. He did. Freaking whole shots both motos. 14-13 uh, yep. for ninth is is awesome. That's great. Um, I, I guess I'll go I'll go Jorgen Nielsen, third overall. So that means, you know, he beats Kehoe. Um, he beats uh, Carson. He beats oh, – I guess he doesn't beat that many Americans. I don't know what happened to him. Um, Whatever. He was on the podium. Okay. I, I'm going right. for it. I mean, because all these epic Unadilla podiums year after year where they're just torturing these poor trophy girls, et cetera, et cetera, their one time was, was a Jorgen Nielsen on this podium. I did not – I did not know this. Yeah, he was he, on the po- he must have, his mind must have been so blown. Hannah wins. Can you imagine what that podium is like? <laughs> Hannah, Jorgen Nielsen's got to be like, what is going yeah, on? Yeah, what is happening? Right. <laughs> uh, JoJo, we there's go- a, have you ever seen this photo circulating? Um, it's six time. I don't know what year it's from. Stanton on the podium at Unadilla, and they finally this year they got to the trophy girl so extreme that eventually she was just topless. No, I have not seen that. <laughs> it's um, this photo circulating six times on the podium, just looking like, what? What is going on here? <laughs> Dogger. Dogger has a story of chasing one on the floor, uh, away, trying to spray her, chasing her, tackling her, and then later that night, got, got her later oh, no. that night. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Yeah, like, it's just, it's just phenomenal, these, these guys. <laughs> 
So, uh, 80s, baby. We should do a re-raceables with a trophy girl. Just find one. Just oh god. Oh no, she's probably married and has kids and is just trying to pretend that her 20s didn't exist. Yeah, yeah. Please really. don't let my husband know I was a trophy girl, Unadilla. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, uh, Leah, re-raceables. That's the categories. Um, good races. Both of these are really good. That. The thing I take away was, uh, like I said off the top, it's just the track is epic. It's amazing. Um, and yep. uh, and Johnny O and Bob Hanna, two two great years. To yep, to almost just poetic that Bob won in '86 because by '89 Bob's done. Um, there's a USGP in in '89 um, that RJ wins rather easily. Bob's there. I don't even think he makes a podium uh, in '89. So this was Bob's last grasp at Unadilla greatness, and he and he gets it. So. Well, kind of. I mean, it, they didn't have one in 87 because they actually had donations there. And Hannah, based, I guess, on this 86 ride, the AMA is just like, nah, man, if we're having donations at Unadilla, Bob Hannah's one of our best three guys. So Hannah ends up, you know, That's riding true. for Team USA I mean, he on a win. 125. He doesn't win, but it's a great No, moment. he doesn't win. Yeah. He wins the class, right? He's not the overall yeah. best guy. And then in 88, Unadilla is back because donations is – you know, back in Europe, and uh, RJ wins. Hannah finishes second, so that's solid. Oh, like, he gets okay, second, Hannah's, eighty-eight. Okay, all right, he does. Yep. So it's like, hey, Hannah's still got it. He can't beat RJ, but that's impossible. Good for him. And then in eighty-nine, yeah, I don't know. Finally, the bottom has dropped out, and I think it was just terrible. I, I think it was like thirteenth or something. Wasn't there a uh, controversy in eighty-eight with the parade lap? Oh, I don't know this one. I don't know. Yeah, I don't if know. you read Cycle News, I believe RJ joins Hannah. Oh, it's, this is 89. They get, oh, Hannah does, oh, Hannah's doing a victory lap. Yes, I remember you telling me this. Yeah, yeah. Hannah does a lap because uh, it's his last time there, and fans are going crazy, and RJ joins him. And RJ gets – I mean, if, if it was equ- equatable to now, he gets canceled. Like, no one's happy that RJ joins Hannah right. for his lap. So you- – <laughs> you won the race, but get the hell off the track. Do not do a do not do a lap. <laughs> yes, against no. against Bob. No, you just won both motos. We right. do not care. Right, <laughs> Bob Hanna's last time. I th- so then yeah. RJ, I think he writes a letter into Cycle News the next few weeks later. Like they publish a letter from him saying, "I'm sorry, but Bob asked me, or I'm sorry, I went on the parade lap, or something." There's there's a whole wow. thing. I, I read wow. it. I was following the drama. In cycle news for the few for a few weeks, RJ actually had to make a statement. He either like in the wind made a statement or wrote a letter yeah. about this lap that he joined Hannah on. Yeah, how dare you? Right? How dare you? Oh man, that's good. Well, I got RJ at my disposal. I'll ask him about that tonight. Yeah, if you can ask him about that, and maybe update it down the line. Uh, so uh, thanks to Liet, thank you to Pro Taper Max's guts and the folks at Scott um, Weech. Thank you, appreciate it. Anything else for the USGPs? These are two of my favorite races of all time. Like you said, the, the darn track is just so good. The action is so good. Hannah's so good. Um, I caution any – If do you think there's any current riders that listen to this show? Do you think there's any chance? No, I don't think there is. Okay, yeah. good. Okay, so then we're safe because what I'm afraid of is somebody that's racing today is going to be tempted to go on YouTube and watch these and be like, oh, my God, this is what Unadilla used to be like? <laughs> I, I don't yeah. want them to know. I don't want them to know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, it's good now. I don't really hear guys complain, and there's even certain riders. I- I'm actually surprised there's certain guys. Oh, Villapoto told me it was his favorite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're back to. I mean, it was universally hated in the you know '90s, early 2000s. It's back where it's one of the better tracks. Guys like it. It's not hated at all. But if they see what it looked like in 1985, they might be like, "Oh, sweet Jesus! What I love to try that track." Yeah, yeah, it looks yeah, great. It's, um, the dirt. It looks unfreaking real. Yeah. 
Good times. Yep. Uh, thanks for yep. listening, everybody. We each enjoy the event. Please ask RJ about this parade lap in 89, uh, and we'll, we'll maybe we'll, next re-race the we can revisit that and, and bury okay. that as well. Uh, yep. But thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, Weech. All right. See you at Red Bud.